Welcome, and thanks for joining the Closed End Fund Association for another discussion. Today, we will hear from an industry expert who shares insight on a timely issue affecting the Closed End Fund space. Hello, and thank you for joining today's call. I'm T.R. Findlay, Closed End Fund Specialist at Nuveen. Today's podcast will feature an update on the global debt markets and the Global High Income Fund, ticker JGH, with Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager Jeff Schmitz from Nuveen Asset Management. Naveen Asset Management is an affiliated sub-advisor for the fund. Before we get started, I just want to remind the audience of a few disclosures. The opinions expressed on this call are those of the presenters as of September 7, 2017, and may change at any time. There is no guarantee that forward-looking predictions will occur as stated. I'll also note important risks specific to relevant markets at the end of this call. Naveen undertakes no responsibility to update publicly or revise any of these forward-looking statements. For the latest public information about fund strategies, risks, performance, and holdings, please visit naveen.com CEF and select the ticker symbol of interest on the daily pricing page or type it in the search box. Jeff, thank you for joining me on today's podcast. Good afternoon. Well, let's get started talking about the global debt markets and JGH. And Jeff, I think my first question to you would be, why invest globally right here, right now? Well, it's an interesting time because both the U.S. economy and the global economy have really gravitated really toward close to a 2% growth rate, both with very low inflation. We don't really have the cross-border kind of differences in economic activity that you would expect in most periods. So for today, you get the stability of the U.S. market. That's a very deep market with a lot of trading companies that are well-followed and well-known. But then the added benefit of being able to diversify into other countries, get exposure to new industries, new economies, and through that, you just get a better overall risk-reward portfolio. Makes sense. I imagine a broader opportunity set is always theoretically uh, an advantage as well to building a portfolio. Yeah, you know, even though, and I'm sure we'll get into it, that we're more of a bottoms-up credit-picking kind of fund, we do like the benefit of diversification. We tend to run several hundred names within the portfolio. And so, yes, being able to go after broader markets just does a lot from a risk management standpoint. Yeah, makes sense. Well, so I was looking at the portfolio before the call, and as of July 31st, 2017, the largest country exposure was actually the United States at 51.7%. And you mentioned bottom-up credit research just a moment ago, and I wanted to ask, is the overweight to the United States a byproduct of that bottoms-up credit research, or is it some sort of a reflection on your view of the U.S. economy versus other countries globally? Yeah, I really think there's several factors. I mean, the first one is that That's where more new issue comes from. I mean, the U.S. market is the largest high-yield market in the world. Even within a broader domestic high-yield type of index, the U.S. exposure is going to tend to be 80-some percent. So it it is the largest market. It's the deepest market. It's also the market we know the best, our analysts are most familiar with. And so that's the first part is just it naturally flows out of the industry. You know, we also tend to prefer the U.S. market, too. You have to better regulatory environment, better uh, legal system. And so you, from a rule of law standpoint, much more comfortable in the U.S. than many parts of the world. You know, Western Europe also we're very comfortable in. And actually, historically, we've been involved in emerging markets, but those tend to be smaller weights, particularly on the emerging market side, just because, again, you don't have as good of regulatory and financial reporting background. 
you know, and then today, I think uh, we're most comfortable with the growth of the U.S. economy, even though I did mention the rest of the world is also growing at a reasonable rate. The U.S. economy is such a large engine, and uh, a 2% growth rate really helps almost all sectors for, perform very well. And so, you know, we see good value there. We see good opportunities there. So uh, I think that will always be our largest market. This particular fund, I think, has to be at least 40% non-U.S. And so that does have us looking beyond the U.S. borders, and, and we're able to do that fairly readily, uh, again, based on the reach of our analysts and their knowledge of different sectors and different geographies. We're able to find enough good opportunities in non-U.S. economies as well. Great, great. And so given how large the opportunity set is, how do you narrow down the, you know, really the massive number of investable securities in a fund like JGH, which you, know, you can more or less go anywhere or do anything in? I was looking recently and I saw that you were invested in sovereign debt, corporate debt, preferred securities, et cetera. How do you choose what to purchase at any given time? Uh, is, it, is it that bottoms up process that you were describing earlier? Yeah, that is really where the benefit of having a large research group really helps us. We have 10 dedicated fundamental credit analysts that have been working with us for a long period of time. So they're each following two to three sectors. These are sectors they've followed for the most part for a very long period of time through many different business cycles. And so we have a very good understanding of what type of uh, industries perform what best in a given part of the economic cycle. So their job is to know their companies very well, to interact with management, to listen to all the conference calls that are available, and really help us make sure that we're investing from a very bottoms-up, fundamentally-based approach. And through that, and through our contacts with the street brokers, we, you know, from that, we we create the portfolio. It's, it's, It's a combination of both what's available for sale, but then also what do we know and what do we like at a given period of time. Sure. So understanding that it's bottoms up driven, my next level question would be, how would you choose between, say, the bond of a company and the preferred security of that same issuer? I imagine you're looking at both up and down the capital stack. Is there a process that you have to determine which is the better candidate for purchase in the fund at a particular time? Yeah, you know, that flows again through the bottoms up credit research. We're deciding how do we see the risk reward of a given company And then it's the job of the portfolio management team to look at the securities that are out there and what is the relative value between them. If it's a security that, or a company, excuse me, that we like a lot and the preferreds, which are further down in the capital structure, um, are offering some incremental yield, then there's a higher likelihood that we'll go after a preferred versus a secured note or an unsecured note within the capital structure. Now, I would say that the vast majority of high-yield companies only have bonds. The preferreds tend to be a bit more narrow in terms of the companies who issue them. They're frequently issued by banks and insurance companies, utilities. And then really on the industrial side, it really is uh, telecommunication companies tend to be the biggest issuer of preferreds. But you know the rest of the industrial sector, really, our choice is only going to be bonds. And then it might be do we want a bond in this maturity profile, you know, shorter term, medium term, or longer term? Yeah, makes sense. Thanks for that answer. So kind of switching to a slightly different subject, I was looking at currency exposure, and that's something that I think would be a first look for someone who is looking at a global bond fund. You know, where is my currency exposure and what should I fear insofar as FX rates and, you know, and changes in their valuations? And I was 
I won't say surprised, but I, I noted that there was a 99.8% U.S. dollar exposure in this fund, JGH, which I thought was really interesting because you can get the diversification of a global portfolio, but you're, you're not taking really any meaningful non-dollar risk. Could you elaborate a little bit on kind of the structure of, you know, currencies and perhaps your view of them and when and where you'll take a position with some currency risk? Yeah, you know, in this case, we really see this as a a corporate credit fund. And so trying to express any kind of risk based upon currency or I'd even add duration, we tend to uh, not want to express risk that way. So we'll hedge out any foreign exchange risk that we may get from a bond. Uh, we do want to look again at bonds that are issued in, by foreign issuers. Lots of times those will be denominated in the currency of that country, but we have access to a, a trading desk, part of Naveen, where we can hedge out all of that currency risk back to U.S. dollars. Uh, I, I just expand, uh, since I brought up duration, it'd be the same in terms of duration. We tend to run the overall duration of this portfolio very close to the benchmark, and we can use interest rate futures as a way to uh, sell futures if we find a bond that we like, but maybe its duration profile is a little long. We'll hedge that back to something much closer to the benchmark duration, which is right around four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, understood. Yeah, I was looking at the um, the website for JGH, and it said that even after leverage, there was a duration that had a six handle. I can't recall the exact number, but I recall it was a six after leverage. And so that really kind of circles back to the fact that this is a, a credit portfolio more than a bet on interest rates or duration bet. I mean, would that be kind of a fair, higher level assessment of it? Yes, that is our that is our normal approach. Yeah. And for the folks listening as well, you know, uh, currently we're at 99.8% U.S. dollar exposure in this product, but just by by mandate, the fund has to be at least 85% U.S. dollar denominated debt. It can go up to 15% in unhedged non-U.S. dollar denominated paper, but it sounds like we're taking that close to 100% currently. So moving on to performance, looking back at the trailing 12-month performance of JGH, the performance, in, in my view, has been relatively strong through... August 31st of 2017, the trailing 12-month returns at net asset value are positive 14.64%, and at share price, at market price, was even larger at 18.84%, market price total return, and again, trailing 12 months through 831.17. To what would you attribute such strong performance, may I ask? The high-yield market performed quite strongly over the last 12 months, both domestically and globally. If you look back to August of 2016, we were still dealing with a bit of fall-off from 2015 in terms of oil pricing, prices having dropped precipitously. A number of oil and gas credits were still in process of repairing their balance sheets at this time. High oil performance in 2015 was weak, and the energy sector was a main contributor to that performance. The market started to step back in early 2016 and showed good, positive momentum through much of the rest of 2016. The 2016 election was also a catalyst for further momentum for the end of that year and the early parts of 2017, as the market projected that the new administration's fiscal stimulus would be beneficial to the economy. Since credit loss is the biggest risk within high yield, a strong economy is the best way to fend off defaults. The lack of any signs of inflation is also bullish for high yield as market participants forecast for a continuing very dovish Federal Open Markets Committee. 
Higher performance through the summer of 2017 can best be described as grinding higher. We had moments of higher volatility, but each was met with incremental buyers of credit risk, bidding up those bonds. Credit fundamentals remain very strong in terms of balance sheets, liquidity, and corporate earnings. The forecast by all market followers is that default should remain very low through 2017 and into 2018. There is also a very favorable technical support for this market as investors' desire for diverse sources of yield remain very strong. In a nutshell, the amount of investable cash continues to exceed the supply of high-yield assets. Interesting, each of the sectors within the high-yield universe had positive total returns during this last year, led by the more cyclical names like energy, basic materials, and transportation. There's also a sizable down in quality buys in the market as triple C credits have outperformed the double B and single B sectors. This is consistent with investors reaching for higher yielding assets. From a portfolio specific standpoint, we benefited from these trends. Although the portfolio is extremely diversified, we have favored the more cyclical parts of the market over the last couple of years and are comfortable with lower quality credits given the strength of our research group. Yeah, sounds like it. Well, you know, you've kind of uh, highlighted a pretty benign, broader kind of macro landscape for high yield and fixed income investing in the last 12 months. And realizing you're a credit manager, you're not making directional calls on the market per se. Um, would you estimate that there'd be further spread tightening or upside from here? Or do you feel that spreads are kind of at or near historical fair value levels? Do you have any kind of glimpse into what the, the future would maybe bring? Again, realizing you don't have a crystal ball, of course. Yeah, you know, uh, spreads are definitely closer to their tights than their wides. Um, they're not through their tights. There, I think there's some room for them to continue to grind tighter. And I say that, again, because I think the outlook for both the fundamentals and the technicals within the high-yield market remain very strong. There's just insatiable demand for yield from many different facets of the investor community. And, you know, and high yield uh, performance tends to be negatively correlated with the stock market. And so it fits very well into most asset allocation models. The thing that people tend to worry about is first credit defaults. And again, we, we see those as being benign as far out as we can see. You know, the negative people always worry about with fixed income products is rates going up. And we do think rates will, will tend to go up here over the next year or so. But we think it's very measured. And in a a product with, with yields such as high yield that's run on a, in a fairly low duration, even if rates are 100 basis points higher over the next year or two, I think we can still generate very positive total returns, again, because of the spread and, and the yield that is embedded in high-income products. Sure. Yeah, and to that point, um, I was looking at the current yield of JGH uh, as of yesterday's close. And as of yesterday, so that'd be September 6, 2017, the distribution yield at the, at the fund at market price was 8.31%. And that references a market price of $17.32. So an 831 market yield is certainly a very attractive option in today's ultra low interest rate environment. So absent spread tightening, I would suggest that the, the, the yield alone certainly would be attractive, even if high yield is kind of coming more toward its longer term fair value. Uh, it's just kind of my take on it. But uh, as a closed end fund and, uh, specialist, there I can say that there aren't that many uh, products that have a yield in that you know, kind of mid mid eight range uh, in today's marketplace. So I think that that 
might appeal to some folks. So, and I appreciate your comments about, you know, kind of your uh, sector level performance and so forth. And I wanted to cover that, so you already have. But I want to throw kind of one large kind of macro question. As a portfolio manager, all variables being equal, would you rather run an open-ended fund or a closed-end fund? And why would you make that choice? You know, we we do run money in all different shapes and sizes, both open-end and closed-end. You know, liquidity within the high-yield market has become a very hot topic here really over the last three years. I would say today it's not nearly as source of a stress as it had been for the market. So today, I'd be closer to being different. But I think having lived through the last, again, three, four years, you know, there with periods of flows coming in and out, there's definitely a big benefit to running in a closed-end structure where you can be a little less focused on the underlying liquidity of a given bond. We still take liquidity seriously even within the closed-ends. We we still want to be able to actively manage those. And so I don't want it to be perceived that it's a portfolio that's full of illiquid securities or we just, you know, kind of put only illiquid securities in there. That's not the case. But at least on the margin, you can uh, afford to have a, some less liquid securities that you, you might like the fundamentals a lot, but it's have a smaller deal size and or it's a bond that's heavily owned by a lot of insurance accounts and so it doesn't trade that much. Given the size of this fund, you know, we don't tend to have that large of holdings. So even if a bond trades, you know, a few million every week, that's usually enough liquidity for us. So, um, you know, the, the ETFs have definitely changed the way high yield trades. It's, it, it is an over-the-counter market. And so it tends to have periods of less liquidity. And, and so um, on the open-end side, we keep a bit more liquidity to make sure that we can meet all inflows. And we take that very seriously. But every once in a while, you're forced to sell something you don't really want to sell from a fundamental standpoint. And, you know, and so that would be the reason that owning it in a closed-end fund structure is somewhat preferable. Sure. Yeah. And, and of course, for the benefit of the folks listening, we certainly sponsor open and closed-end funds, and we don't claim that either one is better or worse than the other. But I, I think that there are certain advantages to the closed-end fund structure, and that would be a you know, fixed pool of capital, no inflows nor outflows. And as I talk to portfolio managers uh, around the Nuveen complex, many of them state that sometimes when the markets get inefficient, that's when they can really get to work and kind of roll up their sleeves and and, and make some swaps in their portfolios if spreads narrow or tighten meaningfully. It it seems that the closed pool of capital in a closed-end fund gives them a little bit more, uh, I want to say leverage, not financial leverage, but it gives them the uh, more opportunity in a volatile market. Um, And it sounds like perhaps you agree uh, philosophically. In most periods, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, Jeff, I really appreciate your time. That's all I had for today. And so with that, I will thank you for your time. Uh, again, that was Jeff Schmitz, uh, Portfolio Manager for JGH with Nuveen Asset Management, and I'm T.R. Finlay with Nuveen. And I wanted to wrap up today's call uh, with some disclosures. First, past performance is no guarantee of future results. There are risks inherent in any investment, including the possible loss of principal. There can be no assurance that fund objectives will be achieved. Closed-end funds frequently created a discount or premium to their net asset value. For detailed fund performance, distribution, and risk information, visit the fund webpages at nuveen.com slash CEF. Risks specific to GGH include... Debt or fixed income securities such as those held in the fund are subject to market risk, credit risk, 
interest rate risk, derivatives risk, liquidity risk, and income risk. As interest rates rise, bond prices fall. Lower credit debt securities may be more likely to fail to make timely interest principal payments. Foreign investments involve additional risks, including currency fluctuation, political and economic instability, lack of liquidity, and differing legal and accounting standards. The risks of foreign investments are magnified in emerging markets. Leverage increases return volatility and magnifies the fund's potential return and its risks. There can be no guarantee a fund's leverage strategy will be successful. These and other risk considerations, such as call risk, are described in more detail on the fund's webpage at www.nuveen.com slash JGH. Potential closed-end fund distribution sources include net investment income, realized gains, and return of capital. However, the Naveen Global High Income Fund, JGH, employs an income-only strategy in which regular dividends consist, well, consist only of net investment income. Closed-end funds are not FDIC-insured and are not bank-guaranteed. The views and opinions expressed are for informational and educational purposes only as of the date of writing and may change at any time based on market or other conditions and may not come to pass. This material is not intended to be relied upon as investment advice or recommendation, does not constitute a solicitation to buy or sell securities, and is not provided in a fiduciary capacity. The information provided does not take into account the specific objectives or circumstances of any particular investor or suggest any specific course of action. Investment decisions should be made based on an investor's objectives and circumstances and in consultation with his or her advisors. All investments carry a certain degree of risk, and there is no assurance that an investment will provide positive performance over any period of time. For definitions of financial terminology discussed on today's call, click the glossary link on the top of the conference call replay page at newbean.com. Securities offered through Nuveen Securities LLC, member of FINRA, and SIPC. Nuveen Asset Management is a subsidiary of Nuveen LLC and an affiliate of Nuveen Security. Thank you. This concludes today's call. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will stop by again for news on this ever-changing space. Until next time, connect with us on Twitter at at CEF Association or by searching for the Closed End Fund Association on LinkedIn and YouTube.